Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week, we are interviewing um, my cousin through marriage, Dana Benedict. She, it's funny because when I met Kai, I was like, yeah, I'm getting out of the theater world. And then he's like, my cousins do theater. And I went, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> at least then you understand. <laughs> so Dana has been doing theater basically her whole life. She toured with Annie when she was 11 slash 12, depending on who you ask her age. She she went to UC Irvine and got a BA in drama, and now she works all around Southern California area doing a bunch of different immersive theaters and songwriting and performing and dancing and, uh, yeah, almost anything you can think of. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, Dana. Hello, thank you. Oh, and the most important part is she has two really cute bunnies, <laughs> which someday are going to meet Doggington and Baggins, but have not met yet. <laughs> And I'm training them slowly to perform. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Excellent. <laughs> so how did you get into theater? Um, I, at the age of three, was taking dance classes. Well, actually, my sister Danielle was taking dance. She's six years older. And my mom would bring me to the dance studio. And I think once I turned three, I was old enough to take a class. I guess I was always in the lobby, like wanting to do something. And so they eventually started a musical uh, at five years old. They started a musical theater class that was like kind of geared towards me. And so um, this was in Vegas. We lived in, in Las Vegas. And um, so, yeah, it technically started from dance class. So like tap dancing, j uh, jazz, ballet. But because of my musical theater teacher, Vicky, she really inspired me to love musical theater, and um, I kind of just started performing all around Vegas, doing community theater, and doing like anything possible that that we could around um, at school and, and all that. So, uh, does, does yeah. Danielle, <laughs> did Danielle stay in? Like, I know she's in the performing arts kind of arena too, still, but she doesn't perform. No, it's interesting. Like even as a as kids, she was always behind the camera. Yeah, which she like, still is today. <laughs> yeah, like she she would produce shows. Like there's home videos of her interviewing me as different <laughs> characters. Um, like I'm five years old, like doing this like comedic shtick, and she's interviewing me, and then my grandma's in the corner playing piano, and it's like really cute and, and stupid but it's um we like always put on productions when we were younger and like even with all the cousins like I'm sure Will can attest to it too that she would he's shaking I his head know. yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah like like we would like she would take pictures of us and like pose us and like we were like her puppets and it was I loved it because I was like like main like front and center um <laughs> She was, uh, she took dance for a while, like she was heavily involved in it. And then, and then she actually, she became a cheerleader in high school. And she, I was in elementary school at this point, And her school was doing um, Sound and Music. And she's like, Oh, well, my sister can, uh, is perfect. She could play one of the younger, younger daughters. And so she brought me into audition. And they ended up using my resume as a um, guideline for their class because they loved the uh, the formation the format of my resume and my headshot so much. <laughs> While you're still only in elementary school at the time, years old, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, but my mom took my headshot. Like my mom was a photographer. She always she like would set up a dark room in our bathroom. Like she always did everything for us, and it was never. Like, we were never pushed into it. It was always me begging and, like, asking my mom, like, my mom to, like, go to these auditions and, and go to dance class. And, like, we could only, like, it was, it was only, it wasn't, like, it was only a punishment to go, to not go to dance class if we didn't finish our homework or something, you know. And um, <laughs> so it was, we, we had a really good childhood 
involved with a lot of stuff. Like I, we did soccer and we did um, uh, Girl Scouts and stuff, but I had to choose and obviously I chose dance and then which went into musical theater and all that. And there was a, a good community theater that I, I worked with for a while in, in Vegas, but then I left and did the tour and uh, I went to a performing arts middle school too, which was really great. Oh, nice. So no. how did you get the tour? How did you, like, were they doing auditions in Las Vegas or did you have to go somewhere for the auditions? And how did you even find out about it? So that was an interesting story. I feel like lately, like, not lately, I feel like ever since I was little, a lot of the things that I've been getting have just been, like, happenstance. I feel like whenever <laughs> I auditioned for stuff. Story of, like, every interview we've done, everyone's like, well, it just kind of happened. <laughs> it sucks because I, like, work so hard to go to all these auditions, and I'm like, okay, thanks. Okay, thanks. I'm like, but I worked so hard on this song. And then, yeah. but, um, or I worked so hard, and or I paid so much money for these headshots and no one's even going to look at. Um, <laughs> but when I, I was performing in a, benefit concert at the Bally's Hotel so that was the thing in Vegas I did a lot of these like one-off shows so I think I was singing I was singing a song by myself I don't even remember how I got into it um I feel like I feel like this is like an interview we should be doing with my mom right now because at this point she would take take over the the conversation (laughs) because like when when I was younger she'd always talk for me (laughs) because I'd be like uh Uh, you're like uh, speak with my manager i.e my mom (laughs) that's what she she was and um but she what oh my god what am i saying (laughs) so i i was doing an aids benefit concert at at the ballet's hotel and annie was on tour at the same time and it was at manly bay and the general manager of networks uh touring company this was in 2000 happened to be in the audience, I guess he knew someone in the show and was like, oh my gosh, hey, we're looking for a new Annie. Like we were having auditions next week in New York. So he had me come and uh, sing for the music director and dance for the dance captain who actually happened to be um, one of the orphans. She was an adult, but she played an orphan. She was... uh, it's a long story, but um, <laughs> so I was able to go backstage and I got to see the show and it was just like, oh, like a dream come true type thing. And then um, and then they flew me. Uh, well, they didn't. Yeah, they flew me to New York for the audition. And um, my mom actually couldn't go because she was giving her twin half of her liver at that time. Yep. Twins are the important. Family. Yeah. <laughs> So that was an interesting part of my life because in my... Um, so did my, you go by yourself? No, my mentor, Vicky, my dance teacher, took me. Went with you. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was 11 years old for the first time going to New York with my dance teacher, and it was an amazing experience. And I was like, oh, my God, New York, this is where I need to be at 11 years old, being like, this is it. Um, and so <laughs> I got cast in the show, but I got cast as Duffy, which is uh, one of the other... Uh, roles and uh, understudy for Annie and then we went back home and then my mom did the surgery and all that and then um, let's see I went back to New York two week, for two weeks of rehearsal I think a week like a week into the first rehearsal or into the first week of rehearsal uh, they pulled me in and they're like okay you're gonna play Annie now I was, I, wow okay. <laughs> like they had me sing and then like they they pulled me in and they're like okay you're gonna be Annie now and so they sent me to get my hair cut and dyed red and there was no real explanation as to why and I was like okay cool so I have a week to learn everything like to learn a new, <laughs> uh, role and uh get familiar with a dog and tricks and everything so it was it was very interesting and it was super exciting and it was very a lot to have on a 12 year olds uh, on the 12 year olds um, back. So, so you did it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So like, and the contract I had was for six months and then they extended it for another few months. But then I left after a month because I was pretty much kind of overworked (laughs) and I, I was getting sick a lot and I had no understudy at one point. 
they were going through a lot of different kids. <laughs> so, yeah. But now yeah, they have Annie's, a better system. They, like, double cast, and it's... Yeah, yeah. Annie's on stage, like, the whole time. It's not like you have much downtime. No. I remember, too, like, at one point, the stage manager during intermission would give me pixie sticks. <laughs> to, Here, like, hike sugar. up. <laughs> But then, and like they would time, they would time the uh, the show and be like, "Okay, you're you're going too fast now." Like I would, I would, uh, I would speak too fast. They're like, and just because I wanted to get through it because I was tired. I was twelve, and I'm like, I'm past my bedtime. And there, it was interesting because there there would be times that I would fake being sick just so I could stay at home with my mom and watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> Which I never had admitted that until now. <laughs> until now on a podcast. <laughs> I literally remember like watching Golden Girls in the hotel room and being like, I like this. <laughs> yeah. It's like a day so off. Your mom, your mom got to come. So she was with you the entire six months that you were on tour? Yes. Yeah, the entire seven months we were on tour. My mom, uh, yeah, so she recovered from the surgery. Um, and then few weeks later comes to Nashville that's where we opened because the tour was already going on and then the new cast they had a few new people come in for the cast and we come to Nashville and my mom's just like in this state of like where am I this is a dream kind of you know and like my kids performing in front of 2,000 people I just gave half my liver and (laughs) right but yeah it she was with me the entire time and then eventually my little sister Diane who is six years younger they let her come on too. And they even auditioned her a few times to be Molly, but they ended up giving the part to someone else. But it was kind of cool that they let her come on tour too. And so she was, because she wasn't in the show, because there's so many kids in the show, so mm-hmm. many kids that the cast was able to kind of connect with Diane on a different level because they couldn't play favorites with the other kids. So because Diane wasn't in the show, she was like a mascot. It was it was a very interesting uh role that she played <laughs> outside <laughs> the show. Yeah, the and background she, sister. Yeah. Um, well, that makes sense, though, because, I mean, especially if your mom's gone for seven months, you know, you don't want to leave a six-year-old home Yeah. With, with no mom. So that's really cool that they let her come and, and hang out yeah. with you guys. Oh, yeah, and we had a tutor. And at the tutor, um, we were able to do all the schooling on the bus or in the conference rooms at the hotels. Um, mm-hmm. So my history was excellent because we were touring all over the country. So we got to see a lot of American history. So this at this point, I'm in sixth, uh, seventh grade. And so this is actually a really good time in my um, in middle school, you know, to be going around and seeing all of that. So like we were able to do a lot of a lot of a lot of like uh, on on site and museum tours, like while you're. <laughs> Yeah, those- yeah, I got. Those good. Um, we were in Washington D.C. for a while, and like we, you know, had to do things super quickly because okay, we have a radio show we have to go to, and right, it was, it was super surreal. Like okay, uh, like you know, we did the Boston, the Boston Trail. Like we, we were able to see things that uh, tw- I wouldn't have normally known about. So yeah. Was, um, so do you, did you guys? Because I. I can't remember how networks works, but you guys don't do like a long sit down in each location, right? Or at the time, what did you do with Annie? Was it like a couple days here and there or? This was two weeks. Uh, Nashville was two weeks. Um, And then I think we did one in Virginia, Wolf Trap. That one was like, that was like a week, I think. Um, Seattle. uh, There were a few times that like the longest probably was about a week, but they were usually like two, three days. Like yeah, one, that's what I remember. The I remember one like, and the thing is like, because it was so long ago, and I I was so young, like, I don't remember much of it. And I, our our tutor actually encouraged us to journal every night, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's stupid. And now that I look back, I'm like, I really wish I would have done that. <laughs> remember what? Then I, I might doing. remember more of this thing. <laughs> this was before cell phones, before we could record everything, and follow each like my mom had a camcorder but this is before we really had a lot of uh, video footage of silly things right. that we did. Right. Um, 
But so I just, I remember though, like being in Waco, Texas or being in Corpus Christi, Texas, and the next day going to Waco, Texas. And that just being like a very different experience because Corpus Christi is really nice and pretty. And then you go to Waco, Texas, like, Ooh, this theater is very creepy. (laughs) (laughs) There's a gecko in the, um, in the sink and, uh, (laughs) And they would have to, and that stage was so small and the backstage was so small that they had to cut the, um, everything in half. Like there's a huge, uh, staircase that they couldn't put in on stage. And so they literally had to like pick me up and just throw me onto the stairs for me to come downstairs. (laughs) And so, and then I remember one time we performed on an ice arena. They put a stage down on an ice arena. I don't remember what city that was in. Um, but I loved that. It was a weird feeling for me to be walking, you know, underground and, and playing Polly Pockets in the dressing room. Like, that's mainly what we would do. Like, th- these are literally, like, what I remember is Polly Pockets, card games, ice, ice rings. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, so, it's, very, it's a very interesting memory that I have of the Anidor. <laughs> Or, you know, being on vocal rest because I'm doing eight shows a week and I'm singing tomorrow 70 million times. So I have to make sure that I take care of my voice. And um, I have a radio spot in the morning, so I have to make sure I'm not up too late. But then I'm also on steroids because I just had bronchitis. So I'm super hyper right now. And um, and I can imagine as a 12-year-old, like, it's difficult to tell, you know, singers who are in their 30s and 40s to be on vocal rest but to tell tell a 12 year old like you you should really not talk for the next 24 hours because you have to sing tomorrow yeah I can't imagine that working out very well I actually took it very seriously eventually I got into it and I had a notepad that we put you'd write everything we put it around (laughs) my neck and I would just write and I got really into like oh it's like a secret code like I can't talk right now and it was a game and so then the other kids would do it too. And I actually had a Game Boy, I had a Game Boy Color, which uh, Noah at the other day at our yeah, he was playing with. was playing around with. And I was like, that thing saved me on tour. I would write to people on on the Game Boy. And um, so, it, you know, it was great because the adults on the tour made it fun for me too. And I was actually reconnecting with... Um, somebody who was on tour as an adult recently. And she said that they had codes that they would say, like, you know, if they went to, if they were going to go, go smoke or if they were going to talk, if they're talking about like a one night stand or like something like drama that they didn't want the kids to know about, they had code words for it (laughs) or bets that they had backstage. And like, we had no idea. And it was really awesome that they kept us so sheltered. And um, she said that they had sat, all the adults down and they said, you know, you're going to be on tour with these kids for, for months. And they're going to, we want to make sure that they're kept, um, that you don't ruin them while they're on tour. Yeah. And so they did a really good job at that. And I really respect them for that. And I made some very good connections and still look up to a lot of those people that I, I was on tour with. So that's really awesome. Yeah. So then you so then get after- back. My turn. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you get back from tour and you go back into uh, you know normal regular life. How was that transition back? To having to go to school on a regular basis and not performing and uh, you know when you're thrown into it, it's kind of a magical world. And then having to go back yeah. to real life, did that take you a little bit to readjust to? Yeah, that was, was really hard. Um, it, that still takes me time to readjust to, and I do it every six to seven weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it was that was my first bout of depression. <laughs> um, like that's my I. Uh, so we were still living in Vegas at that time, and then we decided to move to California. And what's even weird too is that I was at a performing arts middle school, and they had us on a. Um, like a assist, like a lotto system, a lottery system. So it it was very competitive to get into the school. And so once I left to go on tour and then I came back, they wouldn't let me back into the school because they're like, oh, your spot has been, has been filled. But yet they were using me as their poster child. 
Right, because yeah, you, you were on just tour. did a national tour. Yeah. But then they're like, you can't come back, though. But we're using you, you know, to, to promote our school. <laughs> and so, like, I think I remember my friends, like, try to send around a, a petition to get me back in. And that didn't work. So then I had to go to a normal school. I went to the school I was zoned for. So that was even adding that to the adjustment of, of coming back home. I was just, I was so, I, I just hated life. I was like, I don't want to go to school. And this is eighth grade at that time, which is like. Already uh, difficult this, for anybody. And is the end of seventh grade. It was a very, yeah, it was very weird. And so I just, I think we ended up, um, my mom had my cousin tutor me, my cousin Jessica tutor me for those few months. Cause I just didn't want to go. I just didn't want to do anything. Uh, and then we moved to California, went to a new school then. And that was a very awkward time for me because I was still growing out the hair. Like the red kept coming back. Um, <laughs> super awkward preteen, you know, 13 year old girl, like had this amazing experience and I'm just thrown into having no friends, not knowing anyone at school and like being bullied and being, um, being in a theater class, you know, taking drama and not having fun in drama because everyone wants to be cool and hip. And here I am coming from being a professional. And I'm like, this makes no sense to me. And why don't I have friends? And this is weird. And um, so I hated school and I never wanted to go to school. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely a hard transition uh, and so then that's when we started doing like TV and film auditions. And then Diane, my little sister, because she was cute at that age, she started getting all the auditions and then I was becoming jealous and she didn't even want to do it. Like she would, she would want to do it. And then because she had, a, we both had managers and agents at the time and she would get a call, she would get an audition. And then the day of, she'd be like, "Never mind, I don't want to do it. And then my mom would be like, okay, I really don't want to be the stage mom, but we've, like, we have to do this just because we agreed. So she'd have to, like, bribe her with chicken nuggets and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and that made me so angry. Because so I was like, you're doing what I want to do. And, like, she was getting big auditions, too. Like, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, Because of Winn-Dixie. Like, all these big things. And I was just like, this is not fair. Um, but then she ended up, like, my mom finally just let it go because Diane you know was a normal kid and just wanted to have fun and my parents are amazing and not stage parents so they're like okay that's enough of that yeah no reason to drag <laughs> you to things you don't want to be in yeah so that uh so then you eventually figured out you wanted to go to school because you went to college so how did you choose a university did you choose one because it was in California did you choose it because UC Irvine has a great theater program mm -hmm. is how did you choose uh, where to go well so in high school I was like heavily like once I got into high school things were fine like I went to a performing arts high school too and that's like where I kind of figured out like I was in high school I was like musical theater musical theater that's what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna move to New York and I'm gonna live and be on Broadway and that's what I'm gonna do and um so for some reason, my dad is really good at networking. I have no idea how he does it because he's not an actor. He's not, he doesn't know people in this world, but he somehow made a connection with um, the composer of Legally Blonde. I Interesting. think he met, I don't know, he met like a friend of a friend and then somehow we were able to go out to New York and I was able to spend a day with him and sing some songs for him and just kind of get to know him. And also Brian Loudermilk, uh, who's a, a composer of one of my favorite musicals. And I use his song all the time for auditions. But now I can't because it's going to be on Broadway and so it'll be overdone. Um, but uh, so I went to New York and like had these great meetings. And I was like, okay, I want to move to New York. That's what I want to do. And all of their advice was go to school, live life have experience and I'm like oh that, that doesn't make any sense like why should like, but none of that is what I want to do <laughs> I want to move out here and start auditioning and I was like singing on my own from Les Mis and uh 
Larry was like, you're, you don't understand what you're singing right now. You're 17. You haven't experienced um, the heartbreak that Eponine feels right now. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm an actor. I can figure it out. And now that I'm, I'm turning 30 this year and I'm, that is the best experience or the best um, words of advice that I could have gotten. And I know it sounds so easy to hear that, but it's, it's so true. And I'm thankful that that's what I heard. So then I went back, went to junior college because I was like, I was lazy and just didn't know what to do. But I'm very happy I went to junior college because in junior college, I was able to focus on dance and do a lot of other stuff too. Like I did anthropology and did writing. And that's when I started songwriting was at the end of high school and during community college, I did a lot of songwriting. Because of a class you took or you just just stumbled upon it? And liked it. I just, I think at that point I was, um, I was like, I'm very obsessed with Tori Amos and um, Fiona Apple and that realm of those realm of performers. And I just kind of realized one day I was like, I, you know, performing these these shows, these musicals, I'm no one's going to write the perfect song for me, so I'm going to have to do it myself. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started just writing and of course it wasn't really good, but then I just, I keep, keep writing until I strive to write that one song or, or to write that song that's going to be better than than the next. Um, Not necessarily like comparing the songs, but just to kind of improve upon it each time. And it's really cathartic for me too, to just get, because I'm not good at explaining my emotions all the time. So it's a very good way of getting out what I'm feeling. Um, so my lyrics can be pretty, they can be pretty like spot on or they can be very poetic. And it's, and but like people feel, I, like, I, I feel like the, the music kind of dances around because I am a dancer too. So it's, it's all visual to me. Like the music is visual, if that makes sense. My director said something yesterday that you just reminded me of. He said that, you know, uh, music music and art, um, visual art and music and dance is kind of like, we'll pick up where words leave off sometimes. And yeah. so that's kind of what you said. You know, you can't express verbally what it is, but that's when music comes into play and dance comes into play and an actual, yeah. the art form comes into play because you, you can't express what it is all the time verbally. Yeah. That's a famous quote, too. I, I don't, can't remember who says that. When words fail, music. Or when yeah. words fail, music speaks. Um, and that's the thing. Like, And that's why I got so into creating my own rather than... I wasn't happy or satisfied doing work that was already created. You know, being in college and doing... Okay, we're doing uh, ragtime. Like, I remember being in a production of ragtime at community theater in Simi Valley. And I just wasn't happy with it. I was like, this is not satisfying to me. I'm not getting anything out of it. And I... Because you felt like you're creating, recreating somebody else's work? Yeah, but also... It, I don't know if it was just because they were kind of not sure of what they were doing. So they were just kind of... I, f- I feel like if, if an idea is not strong enough, that people will just kind of pick and take from previous other people's ideas other people's yeah. ideas, right and so if I'm working with like, another collaborator who has a strong idea and and like they're fully immersed in what they're doing like that's exciting like the project that I'm working on right now uh they the director is has a very strong idea and and I get to be creative as well and that's a very exciting feeling rather than just being directed and being told, okay, this is what you're doing. Um, which there's nothing wrong with that. Like I like having that too, especially if it's like a big tap number, big dance number. Like I like being taught choreography and, and being told, but it, it's just, it's a different um, way of expressing and a different way of performing that I've, I feel I get more, more creativity and more, it's more cathartic for me that way. <laughs> if that makes sense. So is that, 
Yeah, it totally makes sense. I think, I mean, Stacey and I kind of have this discussion, you know, like I get something different from different art forms than she does. I like the free flow and the immersive and the new works, you know, and she's much more comfortable in like, this is your standard theater and this is this yeah. show. So it's, it's just how people connect with it. Yeah. So is that how you kind of got into more of the immersive art form and to creating, which we want to talk about, you kind of have created these different not personas, but these different characters that you kind of live with. Right. Um, is that kind of where this all started? Um, it started after college. So, um, so yeah, after I did community college, I went to UCI. I think I went to UCI because their drama program is fantastic. They have one of the best, it's most competitive. Like they have a New York satellite program that I did. Um, I was super involved with everything that I could do at UCI. Um, I went to Italy for a month. Cindy, and didn't you? You looked at UCI or we toured it or something. Uh, yeah, I looked at UCI for um for a master's. Oh, master's. Or, oh, okay. They have a good for for what for stage management. For stage management, yeah. Yeah, their master's programs are really good. Um, and like their dance and their drama are the are the top. And so I took a lot of dance classes. I was involved in acapella groups. I was like in choir. I was doing really absurd things because I just didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. I was like, okay, should I focus more on singing? Should I focus more on, on theater? I, I'm not exactly sure where to put my effort and time into. So I'm just going to do it all. And, right. That's perfect. <laughs> and then I like had too many cre credits. Like I had to, uh, I was taking like 24 units which is like way over the top. And we had to do crew at the same time, um, which we did three penny opera and I was in the, the crew backstage and also had to come up and sing on stage super quickly and then go change the set. And it was, it was, a, <laughs> it was a very weird Brechtian uh, decision that the director wanted to do, but it was fun. Um, but yeah, so I was at, yeah, I was at UCI for two years um, and I kind of hated every moment of it. Because I was just, I wasn't happy with myself. I think if I were to go back now, I would definitely enjoy it more. But at that point in my life, I was just not happy. And so I treated it as, oh, it's UCI's fault. I, I hate this place. And But I definitely got so much out of it. Like, um, like I, Italy was probably the most amazing experience. And uh, I never would have done physical theater or clowning because of that. So... Um, that yeah that was so that was in Arezzo Italy and we stayed in a villa it was uh with the Academy del Arte which they have an amazing gra graduate program there which I almost thought about going back to grad school but it's too expensive um that's, that's amazing I haven't heard del Arte in such a long time that's so cool yeah so we studied Comedia del Arte and I it really got me out of my comfort zone because as like a musical theater performer at that time I was very rigid and structured and right. I can only do what's what direction has been given to me at this point in time um so this I think Italy was kind of the breaking of that that's kind of when I realized oh it's fun to improv it's fun to be silly it's fun to open up and I am not good at improving with words at all so like I can't do like comedy routines like that but I learned from being in Italy and from clowning and from being physical theater that you could still be funny and be physical and be active that way and like the slapstick and all of that and um you know it's all about timing and your you know partner work and um so that's kind of where all of that started um is it all silent most no. of it silent well no, that is okay yeah, but um, actually, so what we did, um, our professor was Mikhail Bottini, and he is like a world-renowned um, actor in Commedia dell'arte, and we actually, we spoke in English, but like made up our own accents, because we were doing a show for everyone at the villa, so it was mainly um, students from UCI. Um but it was awesome because we literally got to create our own show. And that was, I had created shows in the past before, 
but this was a very awesome feeling because it was creating based on the best features of each of us and around a character. And so that was kind of a new experience for me. And I was able to play piano, make it all dramatic, and because they had the beautiful grand piano there, and um, just using all of our different talents together. It was a very small, intimate group that we had. And um, and I did a lot of songwriting out there, too. Like, I have a song that I wrote about that experience. And um, it said so that, yeah, that was like a very pivotal moment in my college career. Um, and then shortly after that, we went to New York. And that was a terrible time for me. But I went on a lot of auditions. We did a lot of workshops, a lot of classes, met a lot of people. And um, I'm very happy that I did that because that made me realize that I did not want to move to New York, at least at that time. Yeah. So, but I think, I think in a few years, I do want to go back after I've experienced LA as much as I can. Well, you're always more than welcome to come stay with me. I'm never there. (laughs) He has a cat. You can play with we the have kitty. a cat <laughs> and a very comfortable couch, and we have an air mattress that fits in the in the office that Stacy and Kai use all the time. So, <laughs> yep, perfect. Because I need to see so many shows. There's so many things that I need to do. Like I need to see Sleep No More. I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> it's so funny. We just talked about that on a on a previous interview. A friend of mine um, was one of the ASMs on Sleep No More. So yes, you should come on and see it. Yeah, that's because so uh, a week or two ago, we were at Dana's mom's house, and <laughs> we were talking to Dana about it. That's when I was like, you want to be on a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so then, so you, you graduated UCI, you did all these amazing things, and in Italy, you learned uh, Commedia dell'arte, you went to New York. So then, when you got out of UCI, how did you get um, the Queen Mary Dark Harbors? Okay, so Dark Harbor is um, a haunt at the Queen Mary. Um And I was, you know, just auditioned on a whim one day. This was back in 2010. So I think I was still in school at that time. I was like, oh, this will be a great um, gig because it's like weekends, you know, for the Halloween period. And um, it's it's a huge production now. It's developed. It's 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 as big as um, Halloween Horror Nights and Not Scary Farm. It's, you know, the same world. And so when I first joined that, I was literally just like a scare monster. I would, you know, just walk around and scare people. But I would always get in trouble because I would try to make people laugh. (laughs) You're like, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. I would skip around and like do weird things. And they'd be like, Dana, can you, can you stop? Like you need, you need to scare them. (laughs) And I'm like, it's so hard. I don't know how to do that. (laughs) He's like, you can be like, boo. Like, that's like our number one rule is you can't say boo. And so I just be like, ah. (laughs) And I would chase people and, you know, have fun with it. But I just, I felt so silly. And it, like, this clown just kind of emerged out of me. And so eventually um, they changed the theme of, of the dark harbor into a, like a circus a carnival and they're like we have the perfect role for you you're gonna be a clown and that was, <laughs> like they didn't give me you know I had freedom of choice of like what I got to do and I was like oh my god this is amazing and they knew that I was a performer because you know I had worked with them for three years and so they I auditioned to be a special talent I brought my keyboard in and I wrote music and I so I performed on a little stage performing this like creepy carnival music that I wrote um so that was the first year that they had special talent. And then it developed further. They had more stages and like bigger, it got bigger and bigger. And then I I was able to use Dark Harbor as like a playground of just. Like experimenting? Yeah, because there's so many people that come through. And it's, it's, it's definitely like an immersive theater world because these people are coming through. They want to get scared. They want to go on mazes and have this haunt experience. But I'm the entire like they don't know that they're gonna have this experience with a clown who's actually not going to scare them like I'm there to make them laugh and make them feel at ease and so over time you're still dressed pretty creepy and creepy makeup so you're not like when first time I saw it I was like you're funny but I'm a little scared (laughs) a little imitated but then they see like how endearing twirly is and they're like oh wait a second oh she's cute like a lot a lot of times what they'll say is, oh, she's cute. 
Like, they'll say that to my face as if, like, I can't understand them. Uh, As (laughs) As if you're, like, a TV screen that they're just talking to? Yeah. But, I mean, I do have Dark Harbor to think a lot because they gave me the free range. And I, I, you know, wearing the mask of, of the clown, like, it gives me freedom to be the inner child, like, the inner child that I still have. Like, I get to do stuff to people that I normally wouldn't get to do as myself. Like someone was really, really, really disrespectful to a, to another monster one time. And so I just walked up to it and just started, you know, mocking him in Torlish. And then it just became an entire show of me miming him and mocking him. And everyone was just crowding around and laughing hysterically. And it made the other monster feel better, you know, and it was just, you can't really do that as I can't do that as myself. That Not as easily, no. <laughs> but everyone's like, oh, look at this clown. She's really funny. <laughs> so it's it's a very, it is a cathartic feeling to be silly and, but also be appreciated as it too, because then like I'll pull up my tap board and then start tap dancing and then everyone's like, oh, wow, she actually can do something. <laughs> like She's not just a weird person. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start? Because you still, you still do songwriting, but you've also created this character, Twirly, which I, from what you're talking about, kind of sounds like it came out of this Del, um, mm-hmm. Commedia dell'arte period. Yeah. How did that character persona kind of emerge? Yes. So, like, I have this entire, like, backstory of of her and um when I do take her place like I've done like children's parties as her so when I do that the makeup's not as intense and it's I will I'll speak English to the kids so it's not as as scary but even though some of the kids love the twirlish I think it's hilarious um but you know I make balloon animals I can do generic things like that um but twirly's really good at uh being bad at things and thinking she's good at it um, it's just, she's always getting ready for the show. Like that's literally like what Twirly does. And so it's all about the prep, all about the preparation and never really about the result. Um, actually, no, I, that, that's, the result is the, the grand finale. She's, she's always about the prep and then the grand finale. That's kind of what <laughs> it's like. No in between. Yeah, exactly. Um, so she kind of fits in at a lot of different events I've learned. Um, so like little kids love her. Um, I've done, there's a company called, um, Drunken Devil, which is an immersive party. It's a nightlife party event that I've done quite a few events with them. The first thing that I did with them was Twirly and it was for Bloody Gross, which was a Mardi Gras themed party. And that was very fun because I literally just walked around and would plot myself down and I brought a typewriter and I wrote letters of recommendation to people in Twirlish. Just like as you met them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Sorry. I like danced with them. And, um, but I have like, I have a, Twirly has a dead raccoon that she carries around. And that's the raccoon that killed her. Um, like there's a whole, like there's a whole backstory. Um, and there's actually, you'll get to learn about the backstory in the comic book that's coming out soon. Yeah, um, that's another thing you were just telling us about. How did you get a comic book? Like, so many people <laughs> want to be, like, a superhero, and now Twirly's getting a comic book, and you guys are going to, like, conventions, and you gave us little stickers that have Twirly on them. Like, how how did you do that? Um, so I was in an immersive theater show um, called Covell, which is Annie Lesser. She's an amazing director. She uh, lives out here in L.A., um, called the ABC project. And so what she does is she does site specific shows. Um, My favorite so, kind. Yeah. So the first one she did was um, called apartment. And that was literally in her apartment. And it was, I think it was a one-on-one experience. Then she did barbershop, which was B, which starred um, my new uh, friend, Mikey, who I did the ready player one challenge with which is another pop-up experiencing. Like I do a lot of weird pop-up experiences. Um, and then C was Covell, which took place at um, Covell Bar in 
uh, Hollywood. I, I'm I'm still being familiar with LA, so apologies if yeah. that's not even where it's located. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's no sign that says hi. Been... You've you've exited Hollywood and you've entered LA. It's all kind of the same, right? Yeah, I'm like it's like some part of down, of like Hollywood or Silver Lake or one of those places. It's, it's across from Wacko's if you know where Wacko's is. Um, but it so they ha- it's like so it took place in this bar and it was like a very like three or four hour long show because the first experience was you coming in and getting to know the characters. And I played a clown in this show. I wasn't twirly. I was just a completely different um, generic clown called happy the clown. Um, but she writes the characters according to, to the performers too, which is really great. So I, because I tap dance and play weird instruments and you know, all that and in clown. So she wrote this character for me. And, um, so at the end of the show, this guy named Drew and his wife, Jocelyn are there. And Drew's like, oh my gosh, you are Twirly the Clown. I was like, yes, I am. How do you know that? And he's like, I met Twirly years ago. And he was like, I was having such a bad night, but Twirly just kind of made the night so much better. And he showed me the video that he took of, of me as Twirly. And it was probably the first year the first or second year that I was able to kind of have freedom on stage like Twirly gets away with a lot of stuff on stage and it's really fun and he showed me this video of me literally just tap dancing and playing the melodica and yelling at him (laughs) and And he was so excited by it yeah because there was nobody else in the audience so I'm literally just yelling at people like not yelling but just being like look at me like oh my god that's day you know and everyone's just like not even interested that there's a clown tap dancing and he's just like oh my gosh why is no one else watching this right now this is so entertaining and it's just it's a very weird weird video and I'm like you that's the only interaction that he had ever had with me and like it sat with him for years and he remembered you yeah and I was like okay cool and so he's like I want to do comic book with you I I do comic books and he is a fantastic comic book illustrator and writer and has done so many projects and we're collaborating on it and it's going to be really fun and we're going to premiere it at um midsummer scream which is a haunt horror convention um so and it's you know it's it's going to be like twirly's back history about her like growing up as in in the in the circus with her clown parents and you'll get to learn how she how she uh why she's dead and why she talks the way she is and um yeah, so it's gonna be really fun. <laughs> and when that is when so is that? awesome? When is the uh, convention? So it's Midsummer Scream. It's uh, July twenty ninth and thirtieth, or thirtieth and thirty first. I the Saturday and Sunday, the last week of July. And it's, so it's in up. yeah, and it's in Long Beach at the convention center. So uh, Drew will have a booth where he'll be selling his merchandise um he has he and his wife have a comic book called my blacks don't match and that's that is excellent that is so true blacks never match yeah yeah because he's like a goth he's he's like a goth guy you know he has a a a mohawk they're like the coolest couple ever like they come to a lot of the immersive theater shows so eventually like our paths would have crossed eventually um so it's just it's really that's what's cool about LA too is that the immersive theater world and the haunt world and burlesque and like the variety like all of these worlds are all starting to coincide and like everyone knows each other and we're all collaborating together and it's it's really really awesome so being a variety performer right now and being in in immersive theater right now it's kind of a very good place to be because it's 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 a new form of entertainment kind of well, not I mean right is not a new form of entertainment but immersive theater definitely is and I feel like it's taking over and it's um all of these different uh aspects are just kind of collaborating and it's really nice to see that like I never would have thought I would do, be doing a comic book and it's because of immersive theater that I was able to meet him and collaborate on it so yeah because uh we we try to keep these at an hour, so we're running close to the hour, but uh, through Twirly, uh, you also have Sparrow, which 
is the songwriting that kind of came around the same time as Twirly, but now you're mm-hmm. in a new immersive thing where you have a vampire persona and yeah. I, I feel like you just keep adding all of these layers. You do a burlesque show that has a different kind of idea and it it's just so cool that you get to like completely immerse into this character or something. And then being in LA where the immersive theater is growing quite a bit, like it's just so cool that you are finding a community that everybody's enjoying and liking and being supportive. And at least from what you've said, it seems like everyone's very supportive and it's not like, this is my show. You can't do something like it. Everyone's like, Hey, come see my show. Come be in my show. Come participate. It just sucks though, because immersive theater can be very expensive. So it's, it is hard to support fellow uh, actors or directors sometimes, unless you can get a comp or unless you can be in the show. (laughs) Because I'm like, I can't afford $175 for your dinner uh, immersive theater experience. I would love to in a heartbeat, but I can't. Um, So that's the only downside to immersive theater is that it can be very, it's very exclusive at times because it's very, a lot of it's members only or it's one-off experiences. Or, it's or they're, just, very, they're small and intimate. So you're trying to like produce a show on 50 tickets as opposed to 500 tickets. Exactly. But it makes it so much more of an experience. It's, I think, as yeah. a performer, it's more worthwhile. Um, yeah. What I'm doing now at the, the Vampire Lounge, um, like I'm playing my Sparrow songs there. Like I wrote, I Sparrow is, you know, my singer song. It's, it's a lot of, you know, dark, haunting melodies and all that and it's really cool that all these songs that I've been writing I get to play at a new in a new environment for a new audience and it's it's a very intimate setting and I have this new uh, character that I've created and people get to really get to have conversations and one-on-ones with this character and it's not just a one experience though it's this space will be there for for quite a while and so people are really going to get to know these characters so that's what's really cool about that space yeah that sounds wonderful yeah you twin so the next time you come out there's a whole list of things to do yeah no i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to plan my next vacation soon yeah <laughs> exactly and uh, so, meet the bunnies. <laughs> yeah meet the bunnies well the bunnies were supposed to come over today to meet baggins because baggins has never met anything besides humans and dogs <laughs> He's sleeping right now, but uh, one day he's going to meet the bunnies, and we're going to see what he thinks. We'll do, we'll do a video podcast of that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> uh, so since we're getting near the end, uh, one question we always ask people, and I didn't really prep you for it because I know I know our family. You should but, have lots of stories. <laughs> yeah. We always ask, like, do you have any cool twin stories or twin experiences or anything like that? But let's see. We have your mom's a twin. Yeah. One it was so funny. I was just talking about that with, with my boyfriend this morning. Because I was like, yeah, you know, I'm doing, you know, Stacy's twin. And he's like, wait, Stacy's a twin too? How many twins are in your family? I was like, she's <laughs> married in. But still, yeah, there's like, because my mom's a twin. They have cousins that are twins. My cousins are twins. Like, And no one yet in our cousins have had twins yet. Like Holly, Danielle. They haven't had twins yet, so I'm like, oh, not yeah, wood. Like I'm gonna be the one. Two, <laughs> two out of eleven cousins have had kids, so there's still a chance. Yeah. So. I think um, so should I tell? I should tell you a, a twin story. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a triplet story. Ooh, even better. We're upping the ante. Yeah. So when I used to work, <laughs> when I used to work at Disneyland, um. I had friends who actually you might know one of them. He was in White Christmas with me. Oh. Um, I won't I won't give away names or say too much because I don't want to like because working at Disney I don't want to um, you know give away the magic and all that. But um, so they were triplets and they they were friends with a certain character um, who wears green pants and a feather in his cap and. Um, <laughs> because they're triplets they all look exactly the same and I think so they were able to just like switch 
on a daily basis, you know, if one got sick or whatever, like, oh, I'll just take over the role for you. But I'm like, how convenient is that to, to like have your own understudy? <laughs> play the same role. <laughs> and yeah. like people probably had no idea that it was triplets. <laughs> but and I've met two of the triplets. I haven't met the third. And it's just it's very trippy because um yeah, I don't know. It's just so I guess it's not really that amazing of a story, but I just love the fact that they work at Disneyland. <laughs> we talk all the time about how we haven't met very many twins or we've never we've not interacted with a lot of twins i don't know if i've ever interacted with a triplet i don't Mm. know if i've ever even like met a triplet yeah that's the thing i had never met them all together so i don't i don't i don't think they like travel together but they do audition a lot together like they get a lot of tv spots and commercials and stuff because because they're triplets yeah and they're all super, super talented too. Like they all can sing and and dance, and it's it's fantastic. So it's like they're like triple, triple threats. Like it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> triple, triple. <threats. laughs> That's excellent. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah. They have to hunt them down and be like, "Want to be on a podcast?" <laughs> yeah, I hope you should. I can send you their information. Because, yes, do it. Yeah, they all perform. They're all doing their own thing, but then they all perform together. And I think you guys that would that would be a really fun episode for you guys. Yeah, plus we don't talk to a lot of performers, uh, most of our people, because mostly who we know are techies and mm-hmm. or production people. So talking to performers about, yeah, being triplets and they're used to people knowing them because of that and then how they yeah. can play on that. or Visually, yeah, because and, and I only know one. I know one from Disneyland. I know one from White Christmas. I haven't met the third. And I, I, I feel terrible just saying that. Oh, I know one. Like, I know Matt and I know Kyle, but I haven't, I haven't met the third. So, um yeah, just it's interesting to see how their lives are different and then like how they are, you know, when they come together as as a family to, to perform, which is kind of how my, you know, my sisters and I, when we were younger, like we would perform together at church and, you know, sing together. And um, Diane and I would do scenes together at, in acting classes. And like we were always paired together. It was like me and Diane, even though like we're six years apart, it was always the sisters. Like even now, like we're still there's a director that we work with in short films that we're always cast together because we're sisters and um which is kind of right. nice and nostalgic you know so yeah and diane and you know how to work together already so yeah that helps and diane still performs she's in is she still in the band yeah she's, she's in an 80s cover band. In band yeah which is so funny because like nobody else in our like your family does it, and then Cindy and I do it, but nobody else in the family. Well, like my mother-in-law and your mom, since they're sisters, they go to see a lot of shows. Well, seeing it, yeah. But then Katie takes; she's a photographer and artist. I have some of her artwork. True. Like she's, she's a visual artist. And um, and I then Danielle, Noah. you know, works the production side of things. Yeah, and Jane and think- writes. She writes books, oh, I think. Nice. So, I mean, we're all like, yeah, we all definitely have like different avenues that we do. But yeah, a lot of artist genes in the family. Because yeah. even like our grandparents were, my grandma Janice was very um, musical. I would always, say, and that's the thing, uh, uh, there's a song I sing often, Smile by Charlie Chaplin. Like Charlie Chaplin's like one of my heroes. My rabbit's name is Charlie Chaplin. Um, so smile is a song that I sing a lot. And that was a song that I always sang to my grandma. Um, I sang it at her funeral. Um, but I sing that as Twirly a lot. So like Twirly doesn't speak English, but she can sing English. <laughs> um, cause I just feel like that's, it's just a uplifting song and it's like something, it's very nostalgic to me cause it's something I sang when I was super young. So Yeah. Very cool. Okay, well, I know we could talk for hours about all the other things. We might have to get you back on the podcast for part two. Uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, I think that's good for the first podcast. Uh, excited to come see your stuff. <laughs> so, excellent. Uh, yeah, I think you said you have rehearsals and stuff to go to, and Kai and I are going to go see uh, a friend, Sean Bart, who we did an interview with, is performing with Lena Hall tonight, so we're going to go up to L.A. and see that. I know, I I could go see that I have um the the so it's called the Count's Den that's all I can really that's the only information I can really give on it it's the the vampire immersive lounge so I have that tonight 
a lot of always, fun. Always busy, always doing something, <laughs> which is good. Making no money, but having fun. So. <laughs> exactly. Hell, I'm spending money tonight and not making any money today. So kind of the same thing. <laughs> Cindy's the only one being useful today. And well, she's the only one earning money and doing stuff. I was like, yeah, I'm making money today. I'm going to go <laughs> ride my bike, but I, I am making money. So yeah. I, mean, I, taught yesterday. I taught a music lesson yesterday. So that counts for something. Yeah, good job. That does. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks for being on the podcast and uh, definitely see you soon. I'm not sure when the next family gathering is, but I'm sure your mom and my step um, stepmom, my, <laughs> mother, my mother-in-law will figure it out at some point and we'll be told. <laughs> Don't tell Gigi that would be weird. that. <laughs> okay, thanks, Dana. Bye, Dana. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Title music, Dance Macop, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.